for me, it was very scary. Um, only because I had never experienced anything like that. The question that was raised for us, as well as for hundreds of other institutions, was could we survive? And so I want to move us away from just things being an initiative and they become the thing we do. My primary goal is to grow African-American studies from a minor to a major. And I want us to be one of the front-running or the front-running department of African-American studies in the state of Wisconsin. Hello and welcome to Black History Month Spotlight, a production of WRST-FM in cooperation with the African-American Studies Program at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. I'm Wendell Ray. And I will be your host for this series of talks we will have with members of the UWO community. That is faculty, uh, members of the staff, as well as a student representative we'll be talking to today with uh, Dr. Demira Grady. And she is on the line with us right now. Dr. Grady, you've got a long title. So I'm going to let you uh, let our audience know what your title is and give us an understanding of what it is that you do here at the University of Wisconsin at Oshkosh. Yes, thank you. Well, thank you for having me here today. And you are correct. I do have a long title. My title is Associate Vice Chancellor of Academic Support of Inclusive Excellence for of and the Chief Diversity Officer. See, sometimes I can't even get it right. So. <laughs> <laughs> and essentially what my role is, is I am the person, the leader on campus who utilizes diversity uh, as a, a space of priority for the institution. So I make sure that everything that we do is through an equitable lens for our students and our employees. I leverage diversity initiatives to make sure that we understand um, the not only monetary capacity, but the capacity of people we have at, the at our institution currently um, in terms of bringing some of those initiatives forward. So if we can have all the ideas in the world, but if we don't have the people power, if we don't have the resources, and if we don't have the strategic lens to think about what our campus could look like five, ten years from now, um, then all of our initiatives will really die. And so I want to move us away from just things being an initiative, and they become the thing we do. Um, and so it's embedded, it's affirmed. Um, and we're making sure that we're creating a space of belonging for everybody. So my role is to be kind of the champion of diversity, um, and especially around inclusive excellence, um, but also to make sure that I am the person that is holding us accountable as an institution um, to, to make sure that we're walking the walk and not just talking the talk. Tell us about you how you got here, what is your background, and uh, how did you get into this particular area? As I reflect back, I would say diversity has just been everything that I do. Um, it's easy to say that as a woman of color, a woman who's multicultural, um, who has been brought up to initially just be able to identify as African-American. So I am multiracial, but you probably know as many people do up until about maybe the 2000 census, I was black. And then as I started to kind of explore my own identity as I went into college and 
learned about kind of the intersections of not only my racial makeup and how I was viewed by others or viewed in higher education, um, or just as I navigated society, I really started to hone in on different aspects of who I am and the different intersections that make up different people. So I always tell people I'm a, you know, a multicultural woman, but I'm also a mother of a son who has a disability. I'm a sister of an African-American man who's in prison. I am someone who was touched by the foster care system. Um, I am someone who lives in an urban area currently with my Black son. And I have to daily figure out how I help my children navigate the world like I did. But I also, I think back on how who I am has touched me in different capacities and how oftentimes diversity has become so black and white that we forget about the whole person, especially in higher, educa- higher education, the whole student. So I got um, really into this work when I was an undergrad. I did my undergrad at Utah, Milwaukee. I was uh, a student who had children, so I had both of my children young. I was 23 with two children under five years old, so you can imagine how difficult that was mm. and how, <laughs> how uh, you know, I was able to go full-time to school, but I also worked full-time. I wasn't able to really take advantage of all the opportunity and resources on a college campus. I didn't live in the dorms. I didn't have time to, you know, join a a sorority or join student clubs after work. I was with my children or I was going to my second or third job. And so I really got into diversity, especially diversity in education, when I started to think about the intersections for non-traditional students. So being first generation, being a student parent, um, I started working on campus, and that helped me understand the different resources, but it also helped me understand how oftentimes higher education institutions want students to be prepared to come to them instead of figuring out resources that students need in in order to prepare for students that are actually coming to their doors. So my first job um, out out of my undergrad was actually working, or I should say first professional job, was working in, at UW-Milwaukee in a program called Life Impact, and we provided resources to low-income students who were parents. Now, mind you, as somebody who was a student parent myself, um, I was really passionate about the work we did, but also I was really passionate about figuring out how can we make the resources we were provide, providing to this subset of students Um, accessible to all students, that you didn't have to necessarily be, um, you know, labeled at risk or labeled um, underserved or Mm non-traditional, but the services were something that were inescapable. So part of my job after working there two years, I was given a grant to scale up um, our services. And so I worked with the Women's Resource Center at UW-Milwaukee to figure out a way to expand on all the services we were offering. So it wasn't just for low-income students, but it was for any student who had a child or any student who wanted to just talk about parenting and planning a family and what that could look like, um, healthy relationships. And so from that work, it really spearheaded my want to kind of champion for, I, I call them the underdogs, but they're really not the underdogs. They're the, the, 
populations in our society that are often invisible or um, just we think of like an add-on instead of it them being the thing. So I've worked in nonprofits focused on racial justice and economic mobility. I've sat on boards that really address the issues that our black men face in Wisconsin that they, you know, are the, have the lowest edu- um, high school diploma rate, graduation rate, or the highest incarceration rate, um, or um, the highest unemployment rate in our state. So I, I really started focusing on where are some of the intersections and issues where we often victim blame people for not being able to gain social mobility, but we don't help them. So from working at UWM, I've worked in nonprofits. Um, I've worked in some, like I said, focused on racial justice, but also um, accessibility, working with individuals who have disabilities, whether they are visible or cognitive. I've worked um, with women. I've worked in our um, our foster care system. I was a visitation supervised worker for our foster care system in Milwaukee. I've worked in different higher education settings as I'm a grant writer, as a counselor. Um, I'm a lecturer still for master's programs in um, adult education and counseling. But I will tell you the biggest thing that pushed me into doing this work was really the self-discovering of, of me wanting to be um, not an expert in this work. I always tell people, I don't want to write a book. I don't want to do a TED Talk. I don't want to mm-hmm. do a training. Okay. I want to be a practitioner. I want to be, I'm a licensed professional counselor. So I want to be that person that helps people in, individually understand that how they're touched by the intersections of diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I also want them to understand that it, it doesn't. It takes more than training and conversations. It takes a collective approach to address systematic issues um, that are working the way they are, are designed. And to get people to really move the needle, we all have to be able to position ourselves to give up our seats or to stop doing the very thing that we're benefiting off of. So everything I do or have done over the last 20 years around diversity has been to position myself to give up my seat or to work so hard I work myself out of a job. I don't want the chief diversity officer role to be something that has to be a a standing position in an organization that someone fills for 10, 15 years because we both know there will be new initiatives, new ideas, and working in such a position in three to five years, I will be so removed from the people that we're talking about, I won't be able to talk about their unique needs. So I'm touched by this work because I want to continue to learn about the intersections that touched my life and how they continue to touch the generations that come after us so we can create a learning environment, especially in higher education, if we can't also do it in the community where students come so they belong and they don't have to go seek out safe places that we've made We've had made higher education that safe place. You're listening to Dr. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt (laughs) you, but you're listening to Dr. Demira Grady, who is uh, the chief diversity officer here at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. This is 90.3 WRST FM. We're going to take a quick break, come back, and continue our discussion with Dr. Grady about what she does at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, specifically moving from initiative, as she said, to being more about uh, who we are as a campus. You're listening to the Black History Month Spotlight on WRST-FM. 90.3 WRST-FM recognizes Black History Month from the Timetables of African American History by Sharon Hartley. 
Phyllis Wheatley writes a poem by Phyllis, a Negro girl, on the death of Reverend George Whitfield, her first work. The poem is not published until 1770. The year she wrote it, 1767. Welcome back to the Black History Month Spotlight. Today, we spotlight Dr. Demira Grady, who is the Chief Diversity Officer here on campus. She has a longer title than that, but that's we'll stick with that one right now, if that's okay with you, Dr. <laughs> uh, Dr. Grady. Okay. And we're talking about uh, who you are and certainly have a number of personal experiences that uniquely qualify you to see various perspectives uh, and to provide various insights and to help us move forward. You talked about the initiative. Uh, you want this to be more than being an initiative. The uh, responsibilities and the goals that you have. You want uh, here at this campus and really in society, I guess, ultimately, but here starting at UW Oshkosh, that you want to move from initiative to this is just how we operate. Tell us about your plan. What are some things that you've observed in your first few months here on campus, where we can go and how we get there? Yeah, definitely. Um, so just to give you context um, about why I sometimes push back at initiatives. So being a grant writer in an urban area for a while has taught me that there are often foundations that want to give money towards pilots that for maybe three to five years will be supplanted into a community, resources will be driven into a community, and then mm -hmm. the money goes away mm -hmm. and the resources go with it, and then we kind of start over at scale, like first step, right? Um, and we're not doing strategic planning to um, sustain some of these programming, programming that has been beneficial to certain communities. And so having that experience coming into higher education, I look at it kind of the same way. I am a person having worked on a lot of grants in the nonprofit world and higher education that I really push away from pilot programs. I want things that we do to be scalable for students, meaning that if we come up with an initiative, that it's just not something we're trying. We're not, so for example, right now in my division, I have a program called the Latino Latina Hispanic Initiative. It should not be an initiative for us to focus on Latino Latina Hispanic individuals or students. It should be what we do. We should have programming that makes it seem like they have a home here. So I don't want anything to feel like it's a, a try. We're just trying this and we're going to see how it works. We're going to measure it and see if it's sustainable. We're going to say through driving things to be scalable that we're going to do this. This is the work we do and why we're doing it. And, and how, if it's how not do, working, how do, the, how, how, do, how, do, how do How does a university, how does an organization, how does a system demonstrate that, that they are actually willing to just make this a part of what we do. This is, this yeah, is us. And I, yeah, I will tell you, I think the challenge sometimes is the resources that are needed. So we know when you are trying to work with vulnerable populations or underserved populations, you can't just invite them there. You need to, or invite them to you. You need to be ready to receive them by um, putting a wraparound of resources that go with all of your programming. So the tough part is that sometimes we work with the most vulnerable populations with the most under um, resources, like the most under limited, I should say, limited resources at hand, right, to serve certain populations. But then we, we say to ourselves, well, 
it's not working, but we didn't put the correct resources behind a quote-unquote initiative. So instead of doing that, let's figure out what do all students need and what is an inescapable thing that they need. And how do we map out resources and prepare ourselves for them? So when they come, it's not trying to figure out, well, how do we now guide them along a pathway or a pipeline to success? But we've already mapped that out for them. And we already have high touch points to interact with them and to move them along the pathway to success without us scrambling and being reactive to their needs. We're anticipating their needs, um, kind of like a predictive analyst predicting what their needs might be based on where they're coming from or how they perform in high school. And we're prepared to serve that need, that gap. We understand they're coming with gaps and not just educationally, but opportunity-wise, and we're providing that opportunity. So first thing is there's resources. Um, The second thing would be, even for my division, is breaking down some of the silos. Um, We do a duplication of some of our efforts for our underserved populations when we should be working hand-in-hand with uh, the support services that work with 80% of our population. So it shouldn't look different. If you're a black and brown student, it should feel the same as their white counterparts. So making sure that all of our students are getting that equal opportunity coming to the door and you're not getting kind of trapped in different ways based on your color or if you're a woman or if you're, you know, an underserved, marginalized person. What do you mean by Um, that? How how do you mean? What would be an example of that? Yeah. So an example would be, so right now, if you are our retention efforts, we have a multicultural retention program that does really great work in my division. And the, the work that they've done has really been transformative for our students on campus. Um, but we also have retention efforts in our student affairs area um, that also do a great job. And so instead of spreading out the resources, what I want to see happen is how do we come together and collaborate on what that should look like? If you are an African-American student on campus, you should know that there's people that represent, you, you know, rep- or there's representation of your background on campus, but you shouldn't, you should also be able to be contacted by anybody, right? So you shouldn't have to feel like the services to me look different. So I don't want the services for our students to look different. I want it to, like I said, to feel inescapable and that everywhere I go on campus, there's multiculturalism, there's diversity, there's inclusive excellence, and I feel that. I don't have to feel it when I go to one building or when I interact with one program. I feel it no matter what program I interact with. So I want there to be multicultural representation in my program, but I also want that to be the same with the student affairs retention type program. So that so makes sense. It does. And I think one thing yeah. uh, we can say is that it's good to hear that the university has someone like you in this position, uh, recognizes the need, and is allowing you to do what it, ever, what it is that you do. Uh, yeah. Now, how do you do all that? What, what are some of the steps? What are some of the benchmarks right. that you want to try and achieve? What are some of the goals you've set for yourself and your department? Definitely. So first I will say that um, I don't come in with a lofty goal that I will... Um, correct 150 years of systematic oppression or discrimination or institutional oppression, right? Um, 
and not to say that there are embedded things um, on campus that can't be changed, but there are things that will need to change at a system level, at a community level. And I have really spent the last four months being here going through a list of the things in my head that are things that I can have control and influence over and things in the interim I need to accept so I don't get exhausted wanting to solve all world problems in my first year being here. So priority for me is to focus really inward on our division and understand the student experience. So those are two things that are the same but kind of different. So I know that all students, uh, and I know that all students who are African-American, but all students who are on campus don't know about the services from my division. And that could be if they are white or African-American. It's not embedded in the student experience. So I have been trying to understand how have our services um, done our outreach? How have we collaborated with other um, departments or offices on campus? Where can we do a better job doing that? Where do we need to decentralize what we're doing? So instead of um, centering ourselves in the work around diversity, equity, inclusion, where do we need to um, share our expertise and help elevate the work other people are doing around this work? Because we can't do it by ourselves. So my vision for the next semester is to really spend time um, doing kind of a gap analysis on our programming and our division and reimagining some of the things that haven't been working to start really evaluating and assessing our programming and understanding the voice of our students. I think sometimes we all want to do great work around diversity, equity, inclusion, so we're solving problems before we even identify one exists, you know, and we and we come up with strategic objectives without understanding the voice of the students, without creating a program charter, without understanding how things overlap. So we're strategizing without doing any strategic work. So this semester, my staff and I have already, I've trained them on strategic, strategic planning. And so we're going to be strategizing and really identifying some of the problems, or if there is a problem, without making assumptions, that we want to work to solve or how we want to increase belonging for the students who are touched by our area. So what is their voice in this? Instead of us telling them, this is what you need, this is why you need it, you need to come to this safe place, Um, this is what belonging will look like. Instead of, sometimes I'll tease people and say, we don't need to sell students their oppression, especially if they're black students or (laughs) African-American. We don't need them to come to Oshkosh. And for us to say, you know what, you need to go um, get in contact with the Division of Inclusive Excellence, or you need to go talk to the black uh, retention coach. Like, we don't need to do that to students. Students should be able to fill our division, and it's embedded into the student life cycle, no matter who they are. It shouldn't just be for black and brown students. So that's going to be our work this semester, is figuring out what's working, what's not, reimagining some of our efforts in programming. There will be also a name change to some of our programming. So like I said, I don't like Latino, Latina, Hispanic initiatives. Nothing we do will have initiative on it. It will be what we do. 
We also will be changing our men of color program name um, to really talk about, I don't like deficiency type of programs. Um, I want it to be, um, to feel scholarly, to feel like um, we're creating a space for people to unite um, and not just belong in our program, but feel like they're safe enough to, to bring that energy across campus. And we will be collaborating with other departments. We will not silo ourselves and we will decenter. We will decenter ourselves from this work, meaning we will be the essential workers, but everything will not be centered on us doing it. We are going to be champions for other people to do this work. And that's how you start making systematic change instead of focusing on just personally training people and doing programming that feels good and we bring people together to talk but have no real action behind it. There's no action steps. We're not, we're not calling people to action to do anything or change anything. So that will be the difference um, after the semester. So yep. we'll position ourselves to do that. Outstanding. You're listening to Black History Month Spotlight here on WRST-FM 90.3 in Oshkosh. We're talking to Dr. Damara Grady, who is the Chief Diversity Officer here on campus. And we'll continue and conclude our conversation uh, with Dr. Grady following this. Ninety point three WRST FM recognizes Black History Month from the timetables of African American history by Sharon Hartley. William Tucker of Jamestown, Virginia, is the first black child born in English colonies. The year sixteen twenty three. And welcome back to Black History Month Spotlight here on WRST-FM in Oshkosh. I'm Wendell Ray, and I'm your host for this series of discussions that we're having uh, with various faculty and staff, and as well as students on uh, campus. Before it gets away with from me, we're going to be talking with a representative of the Black Student Union on campus during our next installment on next Thursday. Right now, we're talking with Dr. Demira Grady, who is the chief diversity officer on campus, and we've been talking about some of the things that she would like to see take place uh, here uh, at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. And during this Black History Month, uh, there is uh, a panel discussion, uh, Dr. Grady, that you're going to uh, uh, spearhead. And also after Black History Month, there's some things that you want to accomplish as well. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so um, we will be hosting during Black History Month, there will be a lot of great panels. One I am excited about is a panel that I am facilitating. Um, we are inviting um, five African-American black therapists um, from the state to come together and have a discussion about black trauma for profit. And what do I mean by that? So there has been a lot of programming over the last nine months, especially after George Floyd's murder, um, that touches on some of the intersections in the black community that haven't really been led by people in the black community. So what I want to do is I want to get out of the way and allow space for um, black, black and African-American people who are professional therapists to come and talk about some of the trauma that's been happening in the black community and how they feel about people profitizing, like writing books, 
um, all of a sudden becoming experts in their experience and, and what that does to the black community and, mm. and um, some ideas that they have for us to kind of get out of the way and allow people to do the work themselves in their communities um, instead of us always feeling like this, we have to come in and save the day or lead the charge, but instead, how can we support? How can we be champions? How can we elevate voices again? So that will be happening. And then the week after uh, Black History Month and going into the first week of Her Story Month, March, the first week of March will be our first annual multicultural week. So multiracial, mixed race, mixed family week, where we're going to focus on um, a subset of the population that after being here for months, I've realized we have, you know, a few faculty members and employees who are white but have adopted black children okay. or have mixed families. I want to create space for us to have conversations about what that means without holding that space and, and upholding um, anti-blackness. So we were going to talk a little bit about anti-blackness and mixed families and how sometimes we we co-opt that space unknowingly um, and, and make it about um, multicultural instead of um, black families. So we're going to have, or, or black individuals, I should say. So we're going to have a week of awareness where we're going to just talk about that intersection a little bit. Outstanding. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Grady, for coming and being with us here today on our first installment uh, the Black History Month Spotlight on WRST-FM in Oshkosh. We are certainly uh, happy that you're here, happy about the work that you're doing, and uh, thank you for coming and sharing all that you do as the Chief Diversity Officer for the campus. Well, thank you for having me. I was excited to be here today. Okay, thanks very much. Next week, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking with uh, a representative of the Black Student Union here on campus, talking about their perspective about their experiences here at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. That's the installment this week, though, for Black History Month Spotlight. I'm your host, Wendell Ray. We'll talk to you next week.